it's Silly and Sissy. It's a Silly and Sissy show. I'm your favorite auntie. I'll give you candy. Thanks for listening to the Silly and Sissy show. And welcome to Radio Theater. Where we have another great episode. Today, today's episode is my unique version of Christmas Carol. And then we'll read a little bit of the real Christmas Carol. So, and for those who are interested, I recently gave my aunt, my niece, a copy of Mickey's Christmas Carol. As my brother called it, a starter Christmas Carol. You might want to check that one out for next year if you got any youngins, young kids. Um, anyway, once upon a time... There was an actor. He was a child star, and he's now sort of a burned-out mess. And no surprise there, but um, he was a big teen idol, and now he's nothing. Well, not nothing, but he had a mentor, this old man, who taught him everything. He also got him involved in drugs. And, um, the old man died, and the young kid became, um, I mean, he became sort of a success, but, um, where he used to play for thousands of crowds, millions, really, he was now playing for, like, five people. So, I mean... He's still performing, but, and he's a bit of a diva. No one really likes him. They pretend to. He has his entourage, of course. He has all his people. He has his assistant, who wants to also be an actor, but never tells him. He just does his bidding. He does his wash, he does his shoes. And all just to go on the road and in hopes that someone will discover him because he's with, he's with Scroogey, the former teen idol that everyone still looks up to. And he's still hot, but you know, Scroogey, but, uh, he's Scroogey after all, but, um. This this very episode starts out Christmas Eve. They're performing in some little rinky-dinky bar somewhere in the Midwest. And Scroogey looks around and he's like, I need better lighting. I need more food. I need more eggnog. Get me some hot chocolate. Give me, give me, give me. And I do his bidding. However, though, Scroogey is just... He throws a fit and he leaves the stage. And they're like, it's Christmas. You can't disappoint the people. Or oh, humbug the people. And Scroogey goes and... Throws himself in his 
in his hotel room. And then closes his eye and goes to sleep on the bed on the sofa and in the green room. And he opens his eyes and there is his mentor standing over him in chains. And they say and he says to him Stop taking all this drugs and alcohol. You are a lost soul. This is your last chance. You don't make it, then you're forever doomed. Look at me. Scroogey looks at him and is like, Well, you look pretty hot to me. Look further. Look at my chains. Tonight you shall be... And look at my regrets. Tonight you shall be visited by three... Spirits that will help you find yourself if you're lucky. Scroogey just grumbles and closes his eyes and goes to bed. And the teen idol leaves. His mentor leaves. And sure enough, at the stroke of midnight, the bell rings and a bartender comes in. Hello there, Scroogey. If you remember, I helped discover you. Let's take a trip down memory lane, shall we? So they leave. And... Bartender snaps his fingers and... There they are in the casting director room. Where little Scroogey, at six years old, is smiling and wowing the casting director. The casting director says, yep, you got the role, Scroogey. Scroogey looks at his younger self and is like, amazing. I forgot how brilliant I was. The bartender says, yes, this is where it all happened. This is where you started your success. And the bartender snaps his fingers and Scroogey's now 12 years old. And at a party. Where little Peggy Ann smiles at Scroogey. They're both 12. And Scroogey is just infatuated, and they're smiling at each other, and they're giggling. Ah, oh, I forgot how happy I was. Look at us, said Scroogey. You were, weren't you? The bartender again snaps his fingers. Now Scroogey's 17, and little Peggy Ann's around him. And they smile at each other. Scroogey takes this shot of alcohol. And a little bit of something, something. And. And yells at Peggy Ann. Peggy Ann runs off. 
Scroogey, I'll never talk to you again. Go away. You had your chance, said Scroogey. Peggy Ann said, no, you had your chance. That's it. Good luck. I've had it. I'll, I love you, but I can't wait. I can't do this anymore. I don't even know who you are. Oh, please, said Scroogey. Scroogey looks at his younger self. And then at Peggy Ann. I really did love her. Scroogey runs off. I can't take it. The bartender snaps his fingers and they're back in the bedroom. The green room of the, the bar. Scroogey closes his eyes and says, It's just a dream. It's just a dream. The clock strikes midnight again. And another bartender comes in and looks at Scroogey and snaps his fingers and takes him to the green takes him to the bar where all of his people are even little Tim the one that wants to be a, the new actor and they're all just they're all just laughing and drinking you do it, little Tim. You can go on stage. You can do it. He'll never wake up. No, says little Tim. I, w I wish I could. Scroogey looks. See, well, he's loyal. No, says the bartender. He's just afraid to lose his job, but he is a nice guy. I never even knew he wanted to perform. He's told you a million times. Why, the rest of these little two bits are just... What an entourage. They're just... They hate me. Well, that's what entourages do. They hate you. Scroogey looks at Timmy again. And the bartender snaps his fingers and they end up in the, the green room again. This time the future guy comes in and looks at them. The future bartender comes in dressed in black and a cape. You need to... And looks mysterious. You need to help the people. Scroogey says. Are there no casting directors? Are there no agents? Are there no directors? Are you not a, a big shot that can help people? But that's what agents are for. Think. Think when you got. I was six. My parents got me in. Exactly. Not everyone was so lucky. You can't depend on the agents and managers and casting directors. You don't want to leave your fate up to random people. Help people. Don't let it up to the state. Scroogey sighs. 
The bartender snaps his finger, and they end up at his grave. They look around. Scroogey looks around and sees nobody there, except for little Timmy. Not even Peggy Ann was there. Well, Peggy Ann walks in. Oh, I could have loved him. This is your chance. But she goes over to Timmy and kisses him. This is your chance. Why, that little Peggy Ann? You had your chance, the future bartender growls. And Timmy, don't be mad at them. They've done everything for you. But where is everybody? Where's my entourage? They don't care about you. They don't. Wasn't it obvious in the present? They all hate you. But I, I, how did I die? I can't tell you. When did I, when? I can't tell you. Is it tonight? Am I already dead? I can't. What can you tell me? That no one will be there. That you're all alone. Piggy, Piggy Ann and Tim leave. The bartender snaps his fingers and throws dirt on the grave. And snaps his fingers again, and they're in the and they're in the green room. Scroogey's tossing and turning, crying and moaning. He's all by himself. No, no, no. No, no, no. Little Timmy comes in. Is it... Did I miss the show? Did I miss the show? No. We're still setting up. Do you want to do it? No. No, I don't. I want to take everyone to a trip to Mexico. We're going to postpone this trip. We're going to take the audience to Mexico. We're going. We'll go anywhere. Let's go to the Virgin Islands. We deserve a vacation. Why should we work? Timmy looks around and scowls. Are you... Smile. I am serious. Book? No, I will. Here's a thousand dollars. Buy yourself a nice new outfit. How are you going to impress those casting directors? I mean, all your new fans. Forget the casting directors. You are my friend. And you've done everything for me. Now, 
Timmy smiles. God bless you, Mr. Scroogey. I knew it. I know. And I'm sorry. But I'll give you a part in my next picture. You are going to be amazing. Just remember, it's not all it cracked up to be. Me? Maybe I'll retire early. I have the money for it. Enjoy it. Now go up there and kill them, and then we're going to the Virgin Islands. Thank you, Mr. Scroogey, says Timmy. Timmy runs on. Scroogey said I could do it. Everyone screams, Welcome to the stage, little Timmy! Awesome. Timmy cracks him up, you hear laughter. And Scroogey's on the phone ordering food for everybody and ordering the plane tickets. The entourage in seeing this is amazed and they smile and the first genuine happiness. I can't believe they did this in three days. What? They did all this and it's just still one day. Never mind. But what changed you? The spirits. No more spirits for me. Or I will tell you this. I'm so happy. For the first time in a long time. I'm retiring. And little Timmy's taking over as I said. Now let's get to the Virgin Islands. We'll just make the last flight. Everyone follows after Tim, after Scroogey. And true to his word, Scroogey did retire that night. He never performed again. As for little Timmy, well, he did not die alone. He became super famous. And maybe he was just a little bit better than Scroogey. And as for Peggy Ann, well, she was single. Scroogey did look her up. And guess what? They're married and they have three kids. So, there are happily ever afters. There was for Scroogey and there was for Tim and Peggy Ann. Just remember, just because you have an entourage doesn't mean you're the best ever. Sometimes you can be unhappy too. Anyway, remember, there are no casting directors, agents, or directors that can make you fit. And don't depend on the state. Find a benefactor. No. Find someone like Scroogey and ask him for a million dollars. You may never know. They might be touched by the, the Christmas spirit and the New Year generosity. Well, that is it. Thanks for listening to Silly Aunt Sissy's own version of the Christmas Carol. Now, we shall read just one chapter. One chapter of the original Charles Dickens Christmas Carol tonight. This one is... It was published in... This one was 1939. For can you believe Christmas Carol 
was from 1808. Amazing. No carol ever sung so stirred the heart of humanity. Begun by Charles Dickens in 1843, after Oliver Twist, but before David Copperfield, A Christmas Carol was published in time for Christmas of the same year, in 1843. Its first printing of 6,000 copies sold out in one day. It went back to press two or more three, two more times before 1844 had rolled around. Because of the expense of printing its color illustrations, it was a financial disappointment for the author. But to those who enjoyed it then and have enjoyed it since, A Christmas Carol could not have been a greater triumph. As William Macpeace Thackeray wrote, In 1844 it seems to be a national benefit, and to every man or woman who reads it a personal kindness. What a feeling is this for a writer to be able to inspire, and what a reward to reap. Amazing. 1844. Marley's Ghost, Stave One. All right. Marley was dead to begin with. There was no doubt whatever about that. The register of his burial was signed by the clergyman. That clerk, the undertaker, and the chief mourner, Scrooge signed it. Scrooge signed it. And Scrooge's name was good upon change for anything he chose to put his hand to. Old Marley was dead as a doornail. Mind, I don't mean to say that I know of my own knowledge what was in particularly dead upon a doornail. I might have been inclined myself to regard a coffin nail as the deadliest piece of iron mockery in the trade. But the wisdom of our ancestors and this smile and my unhouthed hands shall not disturb it. Or the county's done for. You will therefore permit me to repeat eventually that Marley was dead as a doornail. Scrooge knew he was dead. Mm, question. Of course he did. How could it be otherwise? Question. Scrooge and he were partners for I don't know how many years. Scrooge was his sole executor, his sole administrator, his sole assign, his sole registry like Ledge T, his sole friend and sole mourner. And even Scrooge was not so dreadfully cut up by the sad event, but that he was an excellent man of business on the very day of the funeral and solemnized it with an undoubted bargain. The mention of Marley's funeral brings me back to the point I started from. There is no doubt that Marley was dead. This must be distinctively understood, or nothing wonderful can come of the story I am going to relate. If we were not perfectly convinced that Hamlet's father died, before the play began, there'd be nothing more remarkable in his taking a stroll at night and an easterly wind went, wind upon his own ramparts than there would be any other middle-aged gentleman rashly turning out after dark in a breezy spot, St. Paul's churchyard, for instance, literally to astonish his son's weak mind. Scrooge never painted at old Marley's name. There it stood years afterward upon the warehouse door, Scrooge and Marley. The firm was known as Scrooge and Marley. Sometimes people new to the business called Scrooge, Scrooge, and sometimes Marley. But he answered to both names. It was all the same to him. Oh, but he was a tight-fisted hand at the grindstone. 
Scrooge, a squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scaling, clenching, clenching, convetious old sinner, hard and sharp as flint, from which no steel had ever struck out generous fire. Hard and sharp as flint, from which no steel had ever stuck our generous fire secret, and self-contained and solitary as an old oyster. The cold within him froze his old feathers, his old features, nipped his pointed nose, shriveled his cheeks, stiffened his gat, made his eyes red, his thin lips blue, and spoke out shrewdly in his grating voice. A frosty rime was on his head and on his eyebrows and his weary chin. He carried his own low temperature always about with him. He iced his office in the dog days and didn't thaw at one degree at Christmas. External heat and cold had little influence on Scrooge. No warmth could warm, no wintry weather chill him. No wind that blew was bitter than he. No following snow was more intent upon his purpose. No pelting rain, less open to entreaty. Foul weather didn't know where to have him. The heaviest rain and snow and hail and sleet could boast of the advantage over him in only one respect. The often came down handsomely, and Scrooge never did. Nobody ever stopped him in the street to say, with gladstone looks, My dear Scrooge, how are you? When will you come to see me? No beggars implored him to bestow a trifle. No children asked him what it was o'clock. No man or woman ever once in all his life inquired the way to such and such a place of Scrooge. Even the blind man's dogs appeared to know him, and when they saw him coming on, on would tug their owners into doorways and up courts, and then would wag their tails as though they said, No eye at all was better than an evil eye, dark master. But what did Scrooge care? It was the very thing he liked, to edge his way along the crowded paths of life, warning all human sympathies to keep its distance. Was what the knowing ones call nuts to Scrooge. Once upon a time, of all the good days in the year on Christmas Eve, old Scrooge sat busy in his counting house. It was cold, bleak, bidding wither, foggy withal, and he could hear the people in the court outside go wheezing up and down, beating their hands upon their breasts and stomping their feet upon the pavement stones to warm them. The city clocks had only just gone three, but it was quite dark already. It had been all, it had been light all day, and candles were flaring in the windows of the neighboring offices. The fogs came pouring in at every chink and keyhole, it was so dense without that, although the court was in the narrowest. To see the dingy cloud upon come drooping down, obs- obscuring everything, one might have thought that nature lived hard and was brewing on a large scale. The door of Scrooge's counting house was open, that he might keep his eye upon his clerk, who in dismal little cell, behind this sort of tank, was copying letters, Scrooge had a very small fire, but the clerk's fire was very, very much smaller than it looked like one coal. But he couldn't replenish it, for Scrooge kept the coal box in his own room, 
And so surely as the clerk came in with the shovel, the master predicted that it would be necessarily necessary for him to part wherefore the clerk put on his white comforter and tried to warm himself with a candle, in which effort, not being a man of a strong imagination, he failed. A Merry Christmas, Uncle! God save you, cried a cheerful voice. It was the voice of Scrooge's nephew, who came upon him so quickly that was the first intimidation he had of his approach. Bah, said Scrooge, humbug. He had so heated himself with rapid walking in the fog and frost, this nephew of Scrooge's, that he was all in a glow. His face was ruddy and handsome. His eyes sparkled and his breath smoked again. Christmas a humbug, uncle, said Scrooge. You don't mean that, I'm sure. I do, said Scrooge. Merry Christmas. What right have you to be merry? What reason have you to be merry? You're poor enough. Come then, returned the nephew gaily. What right have you to be dismissal? What reason have you to be more remorse? You're rich enough. Scrooge, having no better answer ready on the spur of the moment, said bah again and followed it up with humbug. Don't be cross, uncle, said his nephew. What else can I be when I live in such a world of fools as this? Merry Christmas? Out upon Merry Christmas? What's Christmas time to you but a time for paying bills without money? A time for finding yourself a year older and not an hour richer. A time for balancing your books and having every item in them through a round dozen of moths presented dead against you. If I could work my will, said Scrooge indignantly, every idiot, idiot who goes about with Merry Christmas on his lips should be boiled with his own pudding and buried with the stake of holly through his heart. He should... Uncle, pleaded the nephew. Nephew, returned his uncle sternly. Keep Christmas in your own way and let me keep it in mine. Keep it, but you don't keep it, repeated Scrooge's nephew. Let me leave it alone, said Scrooge. Then much good may it do to you. May much good has ever done you. There are many things from which I might have derived good by which I have not profited. I dare say, returned the nephew, Christmas among the rest, but I am sure I have always thought of Christmas time when it has come around, apart from the veterinarian due in his sacred name and origin. If anything belonging to it can be apart from that, as good a time of forgiving charity, a pleasant time, the only time I know of it, in the long calendar of the year, when men and women seem by one consent to open their shut-up hearts freely and to think of people below them as if they really were fellow passengers to the grave and not another race of creatures bound on other journeys. And therefore, uncle, though it has never put a scrap of gold or silver in my pocket, I believe that it has done my good and will do me good as I say, God bless it. The clerk in the tank involuntarily applauded, becoming immediately sensible of the improperity. He poked the fire and extinguished the last frail spark forever. Let me hear another sound from you, said Scrooge, and you'll keep your Christmas by losing your situation. You're quite a powerful speaker, sir, turning to his nephew. I wonder you don't go into Parliament. Don't be angry, Uncle. Come, 
dine with us tomorrow. Scrooge said that he would see him. Yes, indeed, he did. He went the whole length of the expression and said that he would see him in that extremity first. But why, crawled Scrooge's nephew, why? Why did you get married, said Scrooge? Because I fell in love. Because you fell in love, growled Scrooge, as if that were the only thing in the world more ridiculous than a merry Christmas. Good afternoon. Nay, uncle, but you never came to see me before that happened. Why give it as a reason for not coming now? Good afternoon, said Scrooge. I want nothing from you. I ask nothing of you. Why cannot we be friends? Good afternoon, said Scrooge. I am sorry with all my heart to find you so resolute. We have never had any quarrel to which I have been a party, but I have made the trial and homage to Christmas, and I'll keep my Christmas humor to the last. So a Merry Christmas, Uncle. Good afternoon, said Scrooge, and a Happy New Year. Good afternoon, said Scrooge. His nephew left the room without an angry word notwithstanding. He stood at the outer door to bestow the greetings of the season on the clerk, who, cold as he was, was warmer than Scrooge, who returned them cordially. That's another fellow, murmured Scrooge, who overheard him, my clerk with fifteen shillings a week and a wife and family, talking about a merry Christmas, I'll retire to Bedlam. This lunatic is letting Scrooge's nephew out and let two other people in. They were, they were poorly gentlemen, pleasant to behold, and now stood with their little hats off in Scrooge's office. They had books and papers in their hands and bowed to him. Scrooge and Marley's, I believe, said one of the gentlemen, referring to his list. Have you the pleasure of addressing Mr. Scrooge or Mr. Marley? Mr. Marley has been dead these seven years. He died seven years ago, this very night. We have no doubt his libertary is well preserved by his surviving partner, said the gentleman, presenting his credentials. It certainly was, for they had been two kindred spirits. Scrooge frowned and shook his head and handed the credentials back. At this festival season, festive season of the year, Mr. Scrooge, said the gentleman, it is more than usually desirable that we should make some slight provisions for the poor and destitute. Many thousands are in want of common necessities. Hundreds of thousands are in want of common comforts. Are there no prisons, said Scrooge? Plenty of prisons, said the gentleman, lying down the pen again. And the union workhouse? Are they still in operation? They are. I wish I could say they were not. The treadmill and the poor law are in full vigor then. Vigor then. Both are busy, sir. Oh, I was afraid from what you said at first that something had occurred to stop them. In their useful course. I'm glad. I'm very glad to hear it. Under the impression that they scarcely that they scarcely furnished Christian cheer of mind or body to multitude, returned the gentleman. A few of us are enduring to raise a fund to buy the poor some meat and drink and means of warmth. We choose this time because it is time of all others when one is keenly felt and abundance rejoices. What shall I put you down for? Nothing, Scrooge replied. You wish to be anonymous? I wish to be left alone, said Scrooge, since you asked me what I wish. Gentlemen, this is my answer. I don't make merry myself at Christmas, and I can't afford to make idle people merry. I help to support the establishments I have mentioned. They cost nothing, and those who are badly off must go there. Many can't go there, and many would rather die.
If they would rather die, said Scrooge, they had better do it and decrease the surplus population. Besides, excuse me, I don't know that. But you must know it, observed the gentleman. It's not my business, Scrooge replied. It's for a man to understand his own business and not to interfere with other people's. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Seeing clear that it would be use useless to pursue this point, the gentleman withdrew. Scrooge resumed his labors with an improved opinion of himself in a more fastidious temper than was useful for him. Meanwhile, the fog and darkness thickened. The ancient tower of church, whose gruff old bell was always pe peeping slyly down at Scrooge out of a gothic window in the wall, became invisible and struck the hours and quarters in the clouds with tremulous vibrations, as if its teeth were chattering and they're frozen up there. All right. We will read more tomorrow. I hope you enjoyed the... Uh, the... Uh, my version. Silly and Sissy's version of... Of the Christmas Carol... And of the Christmas Carol of 1840, what I said, 1844, I believe, 1844, can you believe it? Yes, indeed. Well, thanks for listening, and if you don't tune in again, Happy New Year, and uh, I'll be reading another, the last part of this chapter tomorrow night, a little for New Year's. And, um, and please find a paper moon. That's Silly Aunt Sissy's favorite book and movie. You'll like it. All right. Have a good night and best of wishes and love to you all on the last Wednesday night of 2020. It's been quite a ride. Quite a ride. From Silly Aunt Sissy, thanks for listening. Kids and kiddos.